Hello, and welcome back to the In The Can podcast. As always, I'm Devin, and I'm here with... James. Tom is uh, recuperating from what he was going through last week, so we wish him well, and hopefully he'll be back next week for post-production. That out of the way, similar to what we did last week, we're not going to have a what we've seen this past week. I did see Zombieland Double Tap, and I did buy tickets for the next Star Wars, but we'll talk about those when Tom and James and... Whoever else is all back on the podcast. <laughs> when the group's back together. Probably first week, second week of November. It's been a weird month. Yeah. October's been kind of tough um, with what Tom's going through, me working on a haunted house, and just kind of like everything being sporadic. It's been kind of a... And my job just giving me every single day of the week. Yeah. It's just kind of been all over the place. So uh, come November, we should be leveled out back on our normal schedule, two a weeks. We'll let you know. You know, keep following us. That being said, let's jump into this week's topic. Last week, we did um, pre-production and everything leading up to the first day on a film shoot. Uh, turns out there's a lot in pre-production. Way more than people think. Oh, yeah. Way more than people think, if they even think about the term pre-production. Yeah, most people just think, I wrote a script. There was pre-production. Time to shoot it. But production uh, is actually one of the most easy to understand and probably going to be one of our shortest episodes we ever did. So, Awesome. The thing is, is that when <laughs> when all the pre-production is done properly, it's the most streamlined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you know and do all your pre-production early and get everything set up, production's a breeze. Yeah, because you mentioned it last week, Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. What he does all the pre-production that you could ask for, and usually finishes up shooting in a, in a month. Yep. Uh, last night in Soho, I think it was like twenty something days. So Baby Driver is what twenty eight. Yeah, something like that. They're all very quick. Um, something like uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Their whole production was two weekends. It's the other one. Dr. Horrible Singalong Blog. Yep. Jenny's favorite film. Uh, that was shot over two weekends. And, it, and for free. Because <laughs> everyone did it for free. It, and yet it's the, it's the part of the process that everyone knows the most, knows the most about. Yeah. Those air quotes that are podcasts there. Yeah. I said it in a, I said it in a different inflection. They know, but it's it's the one everybody thinks of when they think making yeah. a movie. Yeah, and it's the one that everything kind of comes together. So I can see why everyone knows production and you know lights, camera, action. Which I'll get into the term lights, camera, action and why I think that's completely stupid. But okay, uh, but yeah, let's just jump into it. I'm gonna just set the scene here. Uh, the first day of shooting. It's a very simple day. No big stunts, no big... Because you're easing into the process of everyone working together, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you purposely go into the most important thing, but usually the first day is a simple day. You know, it's the... The beginning of the movie, the setup. Not even. Sometimes they do, like, the very ending resolution. They never... Very few films actually go in sequential order. Well, no, I know that, but... Well, the only reason I was thinking I, I say that is because usually, and I tack that heavily there, the beginning of it is one of the quieter parts, mm-hmm. unless you have a, a cold opening in the middle of an action scene. Action scene? My action. name is Michael Sheen. Action. I am action scene. Action scene now. You're going, unless you have the cold open in the beginning of, in the middle of an action. I can't talk. The big fighty stuff happened at the beginning. If you don't do that, it's usually pretty slow. Now I'm just picturing like Charlie Sheen, like holding an axe. I am action Sheen. Oh, boy. So, that's the only reason I say that, is that usually beginnings can be pretty peaceful yeah. for a majority of films. 
the first act of a script is usually character building. So you quite often get that as the early shots. Or the very end after the climax where everyone's like walking off into the sunset. Those are like the two easiest ones. Or right before the heroes go into the into like the big climatic battle. Those like. are the three kind of points that you can do first. But Or you do that cold open first because everyone's ready and they've been prepping for months. That being said, let's pretend like this is a relatively easy first day. Few actors on set, not a whole lot of makeup, no special effects makeup. Let's deal with that later. Yep. First thing that happens on a day of shooting is you get your call time. I'm going to just say 7 o'clock in the morning, not a terribly unbelievable time to have a call time. There's a 7 in the morning? Yeah. I'm usually still awake. It's weird. I might be a vampire. Anyway. But 7 o'clock is the general everyone call time. Art department shows up at 6.30, usually, with some kind of producers or art or uh, AD department, the assistant directors. I didn't really mention assistant directors much in the pre-production, but when you're in production, uh, assistant directors, either the first, second, third, fourth, all of that group, and the PAs, production assistants, and interns become extremely important when you go into production. You mentioned the first one because they're basically the, uh, they're the drill sergeant. Yeah, they're the boss on set. Uh, the director is the boss. Whatever he says, you do. But usually, most of the people on set don't talk to the director. They talk to the art director, or the uh, the assistant directors. Either the assistant director, who is like the the sheriff of the of the entire set, the second AD, which is the deputy, third AD, who's usually in charge of wrangling things. Either the he's got PAs the toy or, popped on. Yeah. But you get the idea. They're the sheriffs. They're the police on set. They make sure everything gets done. They go to the different departments and say, you get this, you do this now. We're changing this up. Anything that the director is like, I kind of want to shoot this in, this little insert. I forgot to add that. The ADs go to the different the different um, production groups. Like, if any, So any yeah. changes, they're the ones that communicate to the department. Yes. The, uh, the ADs and the PAs I'll kind of wrap all in one. The PAs, there's usually one for each department. An art department gets a PA, the camera department, the lighting department, sound department, makeup department. They all have an, a PA that's kind of running between them. Yeah, and you said last yeah. week that they're essentially the gopher. Yeah, they're the gopher. They're the they're the Ethernet cable that's connecting everything together. You know, whereas the AD is the the wipe, the router that everything's connected to. So okay, yeah. So they commu- yeah they communicate to the departments. All the Ethernets can communicate to the one router. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that that's kind of how the the AD department and the PAs interact with each other. They have meetings where they're like, okay, this needs to get done. You, PA number four, you, PA number three, you two, go and get this done. Separate things yeah. for various for various functions, all centralized into one. Yeah. Or a couple yeah. main points. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very and military. Then, yeah. Yeah, very much so. The AD department is very structured like that. Yeah, very military. Mm-hmm. But the ADs take take orders from the director and the producers and nobody else. Maybe the the cinematographer might here and there, depending. But the ADs know their place and they go and do it. If the AD tells you to do something, you do it. If the director tells you to do something against the AD's wishes, yeah, you might not want to do it. The AD actually holds more power than the director as far as certain things go. 
So that's kind of use your best judgment yeah, sort of thing. If the AD is saying, you stay here and make sure nobody comes through this door, and then the director walks through the door, okay, maybe the director's fine, but everyone else, no, you don't let anyone through that door. The director is like the one that can just go wherever. But, yeah, if the director says, hey, stop stop blocking this door, no, you still follow, you still follow the AD. And the biggest thing I can, I can say about that, just from the situations I've had similar, like, you directed the person who told you. Yeah, no, it's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. No, he said not to do this. And, like, again, you don't say that to anybody except the director. <laughs> the cinematographer's like, hey, I have to get through. He's like, nope, 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 no coming through. Yeah, you don't. Anyone below you, you stop. Anybody who hi- higher than you, you direct them to the person who gave you the order. That's, yeah. that's from a union member. I, I'm a union member, and that's what it is. Yeah. If I'm told to do something, uh, you got to talk to this guy. Uh, that's not my department. Yeah, and on a film shoot... If you're a PA, you have to know that you are replaceable. <laughs> you are like... You are disposable. Yeah, you are that other person that nobody really is going to care about if you disappear. Harsh, but being honest. They're the gopher. Yeah, you are nothing more than a person that we hired just to do stuff that anyone else can do. Because so. we don't have the time to do it. Yeah. If, you, if you're a particular... If you end up a PA in the art department and the art department likes you and someone else in a different different department doesn't like you, who cares? Your art department likes you. So you're kind of safe. Uh, there's so many but, There's so many clicks and just oh, hierarchy. Uh, it is. It, the hierarchy at a film set is absolutely fascinating, like looking from the outside, looking at it. It sounds like a cesspit at times. At times, yeah. Kind of. But yeah. Anyway, the call time, say 7 o'clock call time, art department has already shown up. They've opened the set for the PAs, the ADs, anyone like that. Uh, usually the producers come in and they start like start the clocks and that kind of stuff and for payment and the like. Yeah, they're doing their own thing in the producer's trailer. The art department goes in and immediately starts whatever the first day shoot is. This is where the call sheets come in. The art, the assistant director, the AD, gives everyone a call sheet when they get on set that says what shots are going up, what is needed for the shots, what departments are needed for each shots because. For example, if we're doing a scene with two people sitting talking in a blank white room, like an interrogation room in a in a, um, oh, yeah, police. police department. Yeah. If we're in an actual the police department, we're in an actual the, the police department. Wow, neither of us can speak today. It's early for me. You know, it's only like four o'clock. Yeah. Weird message on Facebook. Okay. So anyway, if you're two people sitting in a room, no special effects or anything, no mirrors. It's very simple for anybody. The scene from uh, Black Panther comes to mind. Yeah, something like that. They're just sitting there talking. While the art department has already set up that set, you know, they need to make sure everything's ready and uh, camera goes in there and kind of looks. But but yeah, something very simple like that. Art department readies that set before anyone else shows up. The call sheet says this is what we're doing first. And unless the director or the AD say different, that's what you're doing. So you do your first scene. And then the art department actually sets that all up, leaves the onset dresser. I, I briefly mentioned the onset dresser and the onset prop master. They are brought in to basically make sure that the current thing that they're currently shooting uh, stays stays in continuity. Um, we'll get into what a script supervisor and continuity specialist do, but. The onset dresser and the onset prop master are they keep it in the condition that it needs to be for that yeah. scene. They are specifically the the 
art department representatives on the current shot that is currently being being worked on at all times. Um, they report directly to the art director and the production designer, but they are always on set, on hand if you need it. And usually they, they have a PA with them. This is what I did on Detention of the Dead. I was in uh, pre-production doing all the all of the painting of lockers and all that kind of thing. Then I was the assistant on set, on set dresser. Uh, my boss, Kevin and I were on set right behind the, right behind like all the cameras and everything, making sure everything stays the same. Uh, if the director's like, Hey, can we move that book slightly over to the left? One of us would run in, move the book slightly over to the left. Um, if he gives the okay, we'd then go back behind the camera, you know, behind all the cameras, uh, yeah. view. Yeah. Like out of view, kind of up against a wall, uh, letting the PAs, letting everyone do their job, but very much aware of yeah. when you need to be called. Yeah. Quite often taking pictures of the, of the frame on the camera. So that we can have a reference point. Um, ah, smart. Conversing with the script supervisor. and That's all what an onset dresser is. But I wanted to get that out of the way now. Because I'll forget about it moving forward. Because the onset dressers kind of blend into the background. Like they... If they're, doing their, if they're doing their job, you don't notice them. Yeah. So if someone... Uh, like the, the infamous scene in the room where he walks in with a football. Does a few and then throws the football. The onset prop master is the one that has to go fetch that football and give it back to him at the beginning of the shot. <laughs> that's not on anybody except for the onset prop master, unless you don't have one, which I doubt they had. But, that's kind of funny. Yeah. Or if someone turns and punches a wall, like say World's End, he goes and punches a wall at one point. They have to fix the wall. Or he slams his head against the wall and there's a little bit of blood on it. The onset dresser is the one that goes and cleans off the, the blood smear. Or he's the one that goes and picks up the, or replaces the piece of the wall. That is the onset dresser. That's insane. Yeah, that's just. It's a really cool little job that doesn't do a whole lot of pre-production, usually. But once you get on set... Again, though, it's kind of one of those ones where if everyone's doing their job, you don't really notice any of mm -hmm. that. So it kind of makes it hard for them to be recognized. And re and for most people, myself included, to realize exactly how important they are. Yeah. And that's kind of sad. Yeah, and that's where I like working in art department. Is I like the, the idea that when someone sees something really cool, like you see Deckard's gun in Blade Runner. An art designer of some kind Created designed that. that. And then you look at it, it actually changes throughout the movie because they had different prop masters. That kind of thing. Like It's a really subtle little touch, but it, it does actually slightly change. That's so. that's weird. Yeah, it was kind of an oversight of the, the amount of time it took to shoot it. And you get that a lot in sci-fi and especially in horror. Horror movies are terrible with production or production design. They're... They're terrible with continuity. Yeah, that too. But you know what? Sometimes that works in its favor. Yeah, true. They, some movies actually use that in their advantage of having bad continuity. Which isn't often, but I think we'll eventually talk about continuity as like its own whole podcast, because that could be really fascinating. Examples of it? Yeah. yeah. It, there's some interesting ones. Oh, yeah. So anyway, moving on. Uh, the art department's already on set doing their thing. The producers are in there running numbers, you know, getting everything ready for the day, making calls they need to make. If they need to inform, like, local, if there's a gunshot, they need to inform the local authorities and be like, hey, we're going to be using, you know, gunshots. That's producers. This caliber, blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah. This blah. caliber, usually they contact and like, hey, can we get supervising? We're going to be shooting outside. And 
That's kind of what the producers are doing. Because they, they're, they're always smart. They're always working on the next things. Oh yeah, because they're they're the ones who have to who have to fund it. Yeah, the the AD department and the and the uh, production assistants are off doing their things. They're getting things ready, and then you get the director on set. Finally, this is probably if they've been there for an hour or so, the director shows up maybe on time. The director usually has a later call time than they everyone. sashay in. Yeah, guns on the hip. Like yeah, the, like the old gunmen of yore. Yeah. Except they're the ones that everyone doesn't want to go up against because they could either be tyrants like Kubrick or really great people like the Spielberg. <laughs> you know, there's your yeah. there's your two sides to the spectrum. Yeah, and that's actually not even an exaggeration. I don't think. No, not really. Uh, so then director comes on set and you know deals with the the art department and all that kind of stuff. Uh, makeup, hair, costumes are right around now. They get in and they start readying because then you have actors come on stage. Depending on the shoot. The actors then immediately go to either hair costumes. If you have special effects makeup, like Mystique or Nightcrawler, they've already been here for about four hours. Or everything Doug Jones does. Yeah, anything Doug Jones does, they've already been on set for four or five hours getting makeup on at this point. Ron Perlman. Their call time's two in the morning instead of seven. That kind of stuff. (laughs) Uh, I'm not even asleep by then. What? No, no, I'm wide awake at that point. I'm writing. It's awesome. Oh my word. Actors come on stage. They either go to hair and makeup if they have some big hair and makeup, or they go and meet the director and they do blocking. While they do blocking, I'm going to finish up everyone that shows up. Yeah, yeah. Camera department shows up. Lighting department shows up. That includes grips and gaffers. Sound? Sound shows up right around now. The sound doesn't have a whole lot of pre-setup. There's usually two people on a sound team, at least in lower budget. One is a technician, one's a boom operator. Um, we'll kind of get into what they do when we're... Yeah, because I'm curious since I know most of it takes place in post, so... Yeah. Uh, usually you get the craft person showing up right around now, the food. They set ah, up like, okay. Human service. They set up little like. treats and that kind of stuff. Water bottles, Gatorade, you know, pop. Um, All the wine. Yeah. A <laughs> medic usually is on a set, um, just for general idea. He's quite often a PA that's also the medic. Yeah. Uh, if you're doing anything with a fight scene or anything, you have to have a medic on set, just in case. Accidents happen. If you have any stunt stunt stuff, usually the stunt coordinator shows up right around now. Um, and again, depending on when everyone's shooting, if you have one person that has super heavy makeup, like Nave Sapien, Doug Jones, he's been here for a few hours. But Liz Sherman, her call time is probably seven. You know, it's or if her scenes aren't until three in the afternoon. Her call time's probably one. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So that's where all the They're flexible. The A D department, that's where they are. They're they're figuring out when people have to show up and so on. And also for the things with heavy like the age safety and stuff, you're not gonna have any of any of his scenes shot at like before noon. Yeah. His scenes are all gonna be like he has to get there, he has five hours of makeup. You don't wanna subject him to having to be in that makeup for eight hours. He has a much shorter day than everyone else as far as actual shooting time. So Hellboy, Abe Sapien, anyone that with a lot of makeup, they have maybe six hours of shooting and then get the makeup off, get them home. But we'll get into that when we kind of get into rap and Mm -hmm. uh, what's called the 12 hour turnaround. All right. So everyone's on set. The director and the actors and usually... Uh, the DP or someone, at least someone in the art department, 
goes off and they watch the actors and the, the director do blocking where they walk through the set. That's to, physical. That's physical. Uh, yeah. The actors already know their lines, but you don't know exactly what you're doing with those lines quite yet. That's where the director is like, like take the football, slam it into the ground and then say your line. That kind of thing. Okay. They, they figure out the actions to yeah. the, yeah. So if you want to, if you want the character to take a, take like a drag off a cigarette, where do you take it? And like, do you turn and look at somebody? And that's where the director and the, the actors work for about an hour before. Yeah, because that shoot. can dramatically change a lot. Yeah. Uh, the actual like actions in a script aren't all that well defined. Um, I, I'd imagine that would also depend on the personality of the actor. Yeah. So like someone like The Rock, who has some very particular like lifting an eyebrow or, Quirks. you know, like, like he's always, he does a, a nice grin or whatever, stuff like that. Smolder. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. You, If it's blocking, it's relatively easy. But in a script, it won't say to do any of that kind of stuff. So No, no, because you but, figure it out right before you do the scene. Yeah. So the director and the actors go off and do their things. Usually you get some of the other departments just watching just to make sure, okay, do I need this? One of the art department, usually the onset, or one of the prop masters or something, are watching in case they decide that he needs a cigarette in the scene. Then, you know. It's always a cigarette. It's never a cigar or a pipe. Yeah, it's easiest, cheapest. I know. Pipe is really easy, too. But uh, also the script supervisor, who I have not mentioned at all. You I mentioned, mentioned him them last week, yeah. But but this is where the script supervisor starts their job. The script supervisor watches all the blocking, writing down every little thing that those actors are going to do. Oh, like, no. Like, hand it. On this line, hand is up at face. Um, the cigarette is this low. The, you know, he he wipes his nose momentarily. He looks to his left. And so is that the more obsessive and paranoid version of well, for for me personally of what Mike does for our for murder mysteries? Oh, our stage manager. Yeah, our yeah. stage manager. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that essentially a stage manager? The or is script that... supervisor is the stage manager that knows exactly what everything is. Like, the script supervisor, and I'll, I'm going to use female pronouns for the script supervisor just because I've always worked with female ones. Hmm. Uh, I for detail, I guess. Yeah. But she knows exactly what everything is and is one of the few people that can say, that can yell cut other than the director. Wow, that much power. It's not so much power as it is they can look at the director and go, no, 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 no. This is wrong because this shot that we shot four weeks ago... Has this in it, that kind of thing. Well, that I guess that's kind of what I mean by power is that yeah. because they're the ones that know, they're <coughs> the ones that have the ability to be able to say no, that's wrong, yeah, and not get called out on it. Yeah, the script supervisor is is one of the unsung heroes of the set. When you see like levels changing glasses, like wine glasses are terrible when you watch, especially TV, they do this cheaply. You watch like yeah, going up and down, and one shot it'll be red wine, one shot white wine. The script like, supervisor fell asleep. It's like the scene from Thor Ragnarok, except not played for laughs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the... The ever-filling muck. Yeah. Like, that kind of thing. That's what a script supervisor t- really keeps advantage of. Um, if someone lifts their right hand to their face to, like, to like perch and watch somebody, and the next shot you it's see the, the left, left hand... Oh, crap! Script supervisors do that, or mess that up. I, I have a perfect example of one that was obvious even to me the first time through. Right. The Dark Knight. The interrogation room where 
the way the way the Joker's holding his hands, it flips yep. when you got the close up versus the wide shot. Yeah, that kind of stuff changes all the damn time. And something like Lord of the Rings that had a huge extensive reshoot. Imagine having to copy something six months later that you did six months ago. That you in don't the heat remember. Of the middle of the yeah, that's where the script supervisor takes religious notes. They are constantly watching through the monitor, not through. They're watching a monitor, or they are watching what the action is, and sometimes what they see, like if someone leans over and grabs a glass, who knows that that's even in frame? But you know, they still mark it down. Their their notebooks are insane to me. It's got it's got to be worse than the than like an extensive director's bible. I think you called it director. Yeah, director's bible, director's notebook. Yeah, it's got to be more extensive than that, and yet for the most inane stuff. I've worked as a scripty a few times, and it's it's really tough to take that out of you when you're watching movies. Like, I'll be sitting and watching just a movie, and I'll notice that the gun... Uh, the movie Hannah, with Saoirse Ronan, um, there's a scene where she fires a gun like five times into the cameras, and then fires one more into someone's face, and the gun racks back. And locks, which means it's out of bullets. Yeah, but the gun probably is a model that could have shot more. Uh, but then they, they like do this really quick to her face, and then the next shot, she's shooting someone with the same gun. And um, it's always bothered me that it racks itself and locks, which I'm like, you're out of bullets. And then the next shot, she's still doing some. And that's just either an odd choice from an editor, editor to show that, or script supervisor about stuff. But that kind of stuff, very hard to take out. Oh my god. <laughs> Reloading's always a good one to catch continuity errors. Oh yeah, and then some like raid that has exactly six shots, and then he tries to shoot himself and it fails because it's out of out of bullets. John Wick's pretty good about that. Yep, for the most part, starts like that. But but yeah, the script supervisor, the scripty, is in all of these scenes. They are making sure that everything is stays the same. Them and the onset dresser and the onset prop master reset everything between each take because you have to have the exact same every time oh, and if you have something like a Jed Apatow movie where they're kind of riffing and not saying the same thing you have to make sure that what they say in this shot semi matches what they do in the next shot which is an over the shoulder of the other character and so on so oh man the conniptions then when people go off oh, off yeah. script I've seen a scripty go off on a director for letting someone do something, and I'm like, wow. That's a, a little ballsy. too far. There's a ballsy scripty. But... Yeah, that's a little too far, I think. Yeah. But yeah, that's what a script supervisor does. They are very heavily involved in production. You get a little bit in post-production where they point out various things to the editor. But, but for the most part, they do no pre-production except analyze the script. And they do... Which, to be fair, could take a day or two. They do a whole lot in production, and they are, like, the unsung heroes that nobody ever talks about. Of almost all of these, they're the only ones that don't ever get mentioned at the Oscars. There are no... Devin, until you mentioned it yeah. last week, I'd never heard of a script supervisor. Yeah. There are no... There's no love for script supervisors, which is a little sad, but I know a lot of them are kind of okay with that. So Unsung heroes that don't necessarily want the... Uh... They don't the, the spotlight. Yeah, they don't really want the attention. They don't. They definitely don't need the attention because once you like know that they're there, you know. Well, I, yeah. you know what? That's a good point. Is because you say I say I said that just now that 
until last week, I'd never heard of them. But that's because I'm not in the business. I imagine that if you are in the business for any amount of time, you learn about a script supervisor and know that they're hellishly important. Yeah, they're very important unless you, as a director, do it yourself and know exactly what you're doing every time. But that... That's rare. That's a load that the director doesn't need to deal with. And certain directors, they understand that the script supervisor is important for big things. But someone like, particularly uh, Steven Spielberg, is notorious for inconsequential little the, things. The biggest one I can think of with Spielberg is the fa- is from Jurassic Park. Yeah. The T-Rex scene. Because it comes out, it pushes a, a one of the Jeeps into the exact same place it came out, and suddenly that's now a hundred foot drop into an enclosure. Yeah. And it's like, well, well hang on. But you don't notice it when you're watching it. Yeah. It's only when you go back and look. It's like, what? hang on, how does that happen? uh, According to Spielberg, someone actually pointed that out. And he's like, yeah, we didn't really think that through. But at the same time, who really cares? (laughs) Who's going to? No. But that's the thing. It's like, you watch it. It it wasn't until like a couple of years ago that I noticed that. Someone pointed that out on a YouTube video. I'm like, oh, yeah, good point. Crap. (laughs) Yeah, well, who cares? So anyway, everyone's on set now. The actors, director, uh, script supervisor, and a few people from each are off doing blocking. The art department is setting up the first set. When they're done with the first set, that's when the lighting guys, the DP, the grip, gaffers, camera, they all move in there. They start setting up their lights. For the scene that's taking place there. For the scene that's going to be taking place. And then the director and the actors get done. The actors go to the trailers to get makeup, hair, costume, whatever. Take a leak. Um, yeah, take a leak. And then wait for two hours as lighting do, do their thing. Uh, I have no idea why, but lighting takes hours. The art department can be done and have all of these intricately painted things, and the paint will already be dry by the time the lighters are done. The I only, don't get it. The only thing I could think of that would have that make sense, and it still doesn't, is the fact that light is phenomenally tricky. Yeah. You can literally move it two inches, and it'll change a shade of a color. Yeah, I know that for a fact because I've seen my little sister take photographs of stuff, and I've seen her adjust those lights. Mm-hmm. And I've literally seen her move maybe a millimeter, and then curse under her breath, and then move it a different millimeter. It's like, how exacting does that need to be? Yeah, the lighting in a film set, especially one that's like hyper stylized, like a Blade Runner twenty forty nine or something like that, the lighting is unbelievably important and the dp the cinematographer they are sitting behind a camera with four or five camera operator like a camera operator a second ac a first ac the third ac the dit the all the different people sitting there and they're all going and doing their own thing but the lighting the grip the gaffers the you know the the best boy all of these people are all you know, buzzing around doing their own thing. The Quakers, the Bakers, the candlestick makers. Yeah, pretty much. Sometimes, like, Revenant, there are actually candlestick makers because they didn't use any lights. That's but. that's actually kind of interesting. But then it kind of brings to mind how, like, there's so much effort into that. And then you'll see movies that put, like, a weird filter on it post. And it's like, yeah. well, you've uh, you've ruined this. Yeah. Michael Bay comes to mind. The thing is, I think Michael Bay is really good at... Good at a lot of stuff, but I feel like he gets a little too into style. I think that's his biggest problem. Yeah, I could see that. So, you, 
we have all the the lights they're now set up and exactly where they need to be. Yep. And then they're basically just not touched again. Uh they're kind of tweaked every once in a while. If you get if you're in the middle of the actors being on set and it's an important scene and the cinematographer that goes and touches light, you end up with Christian Bale going off the cinematographer of uh Terminator Salvation. If you've not heard that, look up Christian Bale meltdown. The hypocrisy yeah. in his in his rant is hilarious yeah. in and of itself. But yeah, because he's talking about being professional and you're yelling at a staff member. Yeah, you're yelling at someone that is on par with you. That, that if it weren't for the fact that you become a big name, trumps you actually. And yeah. even then, if you're acting enough of a giant dick, yeah, that's... Christian Bale is a producer. He's higher than the cinematographer, dude. But. I don't know. That's not that's not a good habit to get into. Yeah. But no, that, that's kind of funny. So, so yeah, it's like they're they'll be tweaked, but for the most part, lighting is now done with their job. Yeah, and at this point, it is hot set. That's what the term when everything is locked down, and they're um, about and you're like us like a minute away from shooting. Yeah, when it's hot set, the art department's a lot on set. Uh, art department's almost always a lot on set. Uh, they are they they controlled the set. They yeah. have the props, all that sort yeah. of makeup. The onset director, or no, the onset onset director. Ooh, that's a new one. No, um, the onset art department is always allowed on set. That's their job. I mean, if they weren't, they shouldn't have really been called yeah. on set. But hey, uh, the director is always allowed wherever, just about. Producers are allowed anywhere because without them, they don't have money. Actors are now allowed back on set. And script supervisor allowed anywhere. For the most part, lighting guys then go off and smoke for the next four hours. Or do nothing. Or sit there and fall asleep. I've seen that happen a lot. The sound guys, who have been quietly sitting in the corner, you know, waiting for everyone else to do their thing. And but more than the fact that they're useless. Then they've fallen asleep for the last four hours. Um, finally wake up. They string a boom mic or, or they hide microphones, depending, you know. You're like outside. Usually, you don't want a giant boom mic, especially but, when the wind catches it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That, yep. There's a lot of stuff going on, and since Tom's not here, I'm going to say Wookie condom. Anyway, so they string a boom mic up to a soundboard, and that's it for sound. Not a whole lot else going on for sound. Uh, okay, so much takes place in post, and I'm gonna. I I have to ask this because I'm curious. What does sound actually capture during production? Because I hear the, all the sound effects, all the foley, all that sort of stuff is done post, and that kind of makes sense because you can never because people have certain expectations of certain sounds. Mm-hmm. How does that work with with the voice? Because um, the voice is one of the most important things, and yes, you can ADR it, but that doesn't necessarily work with some of the performances you get. For the most part, sound captures. They capture voice. That's the big thing. The boom mites, the shotgun mites, lavaliers. Those are all capturing voice. Now, the sound also captures if they flick a lighter or something. That's a reference point for them to add in an ADR, a lighter flicking. Okay. If, you know, the tire screech on the car or something, that's a reference point. But for the most part, they are capturing the voice. And nine times out of ten, especially with lower budget films, you hear directly the sound coming from the set instead of the any ADR, because ADR is a pain in the ass, and if you get it wrong, it's noticeable. You end up with misaligned um, mouth movements. You 
Yeah, two of the things. I can think of a couple of examples I've seen of that. Okay. But it. Yeah, that's. So their big thing is the voice of the actors and the secondary being reference points for where they need to go in and fully. Yeah. One of the most popular film things ever is the slate. You know, the. Clack. Uh. Scene two, scene two, take three, clack. That is a sync point for sound and for camera. Ah, so you can line them up in editing. Yeah. That, um, actually make, that actually makes perfect sense. So we're at a point where everyone is now locked down. The actors are on set. The actors are in position. Everyone is locked down. And this is, this is what we call hot, set, and ready. Now, it ends up with director basically giving a thumbs up to the AD who then calls quiet on set and everyone shuts the fuck up. Everyone shuts up, not even producers and all that. If you talk, the AD can kick a producer off set if they're talking. Wow. Yeah. The AD, once he says quiet on set, everyone shuts up. They then call roll sound and sound rolls because sound is cheap. You know, it's, you can, you can record a lot of sound. Oh yeah. Trust me. I know. Pointing at the, the computer that's currently recording sound. Yeah, but you can do that for wage. Yeah. Now even that I we're know that. now that we're shooting on digital, it's even even cheaper to to roll camera. But back when we we're shooting on like you know actual film, film was expensive as hell. Even I know that, and I'm not a I'm not in the film business. Yeah. So that's just video is more expensive. Yeah. So anyway, the AD says roll sound. So sound rolling is usually or like. The sound then does uh, take the oh that so, explains that I'm remembering the song <coughs> at the beginning of the song Chop Suey. You've got they've got a little bit right right at the beginning that says Rolling Suicide because that was the name of the song at the time yeah. and that that suddenly makes sense. But yeah, the the sound guy usually has a little like take four or scene four take four A uh, check mark and then they stop and then the um but that's usually just for the um. Post production is they like having a, a a time card basically for themselves, um, and then the AD says roll camera, camera roll, camera speed. They used to say camera speed when they actually had to speed up the film into the camera. They still say camera speed, at least as far as I know. But camera speed. So now your sound hot, camera hot, and then the AD, then the AD shuts up and it goes to the director. Who says action? Wow. Now the the thing I want to point out here is that I never once said lights, camera, action. It's sound, camera, action. Because lights were set up. Lights for have two been hours. set up for hours. Lights have been set up for hours. If the if you're calling for lights, you have a problem. You know what? And the only thing I can think of that 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 persists is because lights, camera, action sounds better than sound, camera, action. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think. Yeah, and before the the director says, says action. Usually the second AD or second AC assistant camera goes up and says like, take 14 and then claps it in the frame of the shot. Okay. That we've seen. That's pretty, that's pretty common to see though. Yeah. You see that clap that and then run off. And then the director can say action. The actors finally do their thing. Usually it's like, hi there. Cut. <laughs> and like, you're starting to realize just how little the actors actually do on set. They're... They're there. They're... They exist. 
They are meat popsicles. But that's about all they do. <laughs> okay, Bruce Willis. I want to make a meat bicycle. What? <laughs> okay. Are you are you human, sir? No, I am a meat popsicle. Oh. But anyway, yeah, the actors do their thing. Uh, they move around a little bit. They throw something. They say their lines like they're important. And then cut. First thing that happens is a script supervisor points out anything that needs to change. The onset prop master runs up and starts starts resetting stuff. Mm-hmm. Even if we don't do it again. That's, it's a great habit to get into. Yeah. Reset up everything. The art department fades back into the, the back. The, the lighting guys do nothing. They uh, <laughs> smoke another cigarette and raid crafty. Um, sound <laughs> guys cut. You know, then and gets and gets and sent get up ready to, for the next yeah. one. Camera cut if they need to replace the magazine or the mag. They pop it off, hand it to the DIT person who runs it over, dumps the card. They otherwise, the they card. yeah. Otherwise, they just kind of line up to where they were. Yeah. If the camera ever moved, they go back to one. Everyone goes back to one. That's the phrase. Yeah. And usually the AD would be like, okay, back to one. Everyone goes back to one. Director uh, either says, good, run it again. And they do it again. Whole setup all over again. Or moving on. Those are the two. Which means we've got it. Or we got it, but let's just do it again. And it's another one for safety. For safety, or if they want to let the actors improv, because... Yeah. Usually, or, well, we could do it again, they just do another take, you know. It's not... It's not hard and fast. Yeah, it's it's pretty normal for them to do, like, three or four takes, and... Just because yeah. something might, might pop. Yeah. That's that's what I hear, yeah. is that three or four... From what I've heard, even from you and other sources, about half a dozen is slightly higher than average. Yeah, I'd say... I've had somewhere like 10 is kind of the max that we'd ever go to. And it would be like a really complicated, like moving in, closing a door, calling someone's name, and then someone coming down the stairs or something like that. Oh, on one it's shot. It's all timing based. Yeah. A little bit more for that. Someone just reacting and saying, yes, that's right. It's probably a one or one shot or one take. <laughs> then you've got the stuff like Children of Men. Yeah, something like Children of Men, the, the log car thing, which ultimately didn't take so many, but. It's not Shelley Duvall going upstairs, but you know it's it's a lot of you know a lot of resetting. They have to move the car back to one. They have to reset all of the props and everything. I think they got yeah. exploded. Yeah, they have to move in and out. They have to put down fires. Yeah, those are a lot. Those are the ones that impress me when they can get it in less than six. Yeah, that's like how or one of the big ones. The entire church scene from Kingsman. Yep. How do Which you is, do? That is multiple shots stitched together, very expertly stitched together, but you they can, did a very good Once job. you actually analyze that, you start seeing where they have the cuts. Yeah, and the, the human wipes, There's, they call them. I will say, continuity-wise, there are a couple, couple problems, but on the whole, it's like, that is a phenomenal piece of work that they should be exceedingly happy with themselves for. Yeah. Well, yeah. So let's say the director was happy with the take. Cut. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Art department is already ready with the next set. On set, on set dresser, on set prop master, go on to the next one and just rearrange everything. And like, okay, we're good. And that point, then whatever the next scene on, they move. For, they yeah. move to that. Basically, everything that they did for to set up the first one, they move on to the next one. Quite often, instead of moving on to a new set, you just move the camera to a new location and tweak lighting. Oh, because it's all if you're if you're smart and lucky, it's all essentially in one big area that they've sectioned off. Yeah, pretty much. 
Um, simple explanation. Simple. Yeah. Let's go with that. Say for this one, two people sitting talking in an interrogation room. Uh, we would move the camera to the opposite side of the interrogation room to see the other person. One over the shoulder to the other over the shoulder. You're looking at the cop. If the cop is in the foreground looking at the looking at the perp, you get a shot over the shoulder of Black the camera. Panther. Yeah. Uh, looking over Bilbo to Claw. Then you move around and you look over Gollum to Martin Freeman. You know, Or you're going back and you're with... You're with the... The, the Wakandians, and they're looking at... Yeah. That that surprised me, because I... The way that that's set up, where they're having... They're having two different scenes, essentially, overlapping, and it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Like, that... It, it seems so simple, yet it's probably a bit more of a headache. Yeah. Because that's, that's way worse timing. And the fact that it's pu- pulled off so flawlessly so often... Amazes me. Yep. But yeah, so now we'd move the camera, capture the other side of the conversation. If you had enough budget, you have two cameras rolling at the same time just to capture the over the shoulders, you know, pretty easily. They do the scene again. Uh, then you get a wide shot, do the same same scene again. You, you get the idea. You know, you do the same scene for like four hours just repeatedly over and over. And you get good in it. But that also explains yeah. why the improv starts happening because you get bored. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but then moving on. We're done with this scene in the interrogation room. Now we have a scene with two cops eating bagels and a donut, you know, in in the in the cafeteria area. The break room. Yeah. yeah. So just like we set up that first scene, everybody moves on to the next location. Actors go back to their trailers. Change if the actors are in another scene today, they have to stick around and change up their costume. If they're not, they're relieved for the day. They can head off and go and get into a car accident or whatever they're going to do. Who cares? It, it, it's more and more seeming that they they contribute almost nothing. They contribute their face, and that's about it. Their face and their voice. But yeah, for the most part, that's that. Any other actors that were brought in for the scene alone, say we have two more cops and the same cop that was in the scene earlier. So the perpetrator, you can go home. That's fine. The cop that was there uh, probably has to go change out of the whatever he was to a different day's costume kind of thing. So he's not wearing the exact same thing, and then it's put back back in the two other cops that are new for well, this. Time. The difference oh, between the, the 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 dress uh, the dress wear where you're going against the, the actual perpetrator versus the casual one you're wearing around the office. Yeah, that kind of thing. So now the three of them are in another scene. We do the whole rigmarole of the lighting taking forever, the everything and blah blah blah. Then they realize they don't have a donut, so they run to Crafty, grab a donut, and give it to the give it to the um, cop. That happens a lot when it's food. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Y- if you've got it, you might as well. And then you realize you don't want the, the cop holding a glazed donut because it'll get on his fingers so they give him a bagel instead. That's why quite often you see cops holding bag- or bagels instead of donuts in films. No, really? That kind of thing because it, it leaves a little residue. Yeah, residue. You don't want residue. You never see powdered donuts unless they make a point of it being a powdered donut. Uh, Dad. There's a lot of things like that that you just don't don't really notice, but it's a it's a continuity thing. If they're sitting there eating a eating a you know powdered donut, and then cut, now you have powdered powder on your face, powder on your fingers, powdered donut bitten into. We'll get into the what what you do with that donut in a second, but they still. eat it. Nope, <laughs> no, they don't. Usually, oh, unless you're Brad Pitt, you don't eat on on camera very often. No, uh, or what uh, Chris Pratt did that yeah. to me. 
Yeah. How, like, how many hamburgers? Yeah, pretty much. But, uh, oh, that's that's actually kind of amazing, because you don't notice that. That's kind of weird. Yeah, the other than Brad Pitt, not a whole lot of actors eat on set. And even then, I, the only role I can think they did that was for Ocean's Eleven. Oh, he eats in every single movie. Does he? Just about every single movie, he eats something. I'm going to have trademarks. I'm going to have to go it's back like Tom and Cruise running or being on a motorcycle. Brad Pitt eats a lot. <laughs> huh. Yep. I never noticed. Little finger food or like he'll be eating like like something or he'll kind of be like chewing on something. It's just something Drinking he always something. does. Yeah. yeah, he just always does that. I, yeah. I noticed explicitly in, in Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Like it is almost in your face with how much he's yeah. eating during that. I don't think there's a scene where he do, where he hasn't chomped, chomped on something in that movie. So let's say this scene, and there's not... This is kind of a weird, weird example, but like three cops sitting there and one person takes a bite of a bagel and then continues his line. And then we cut. So we do this scene like three different angles. Cool. Four or five takes each. Let's say he messes up his line director after eating the bagel a few times, so we're at ten takes or whatever. That means that we have to go through 10 different bagels. <laughs> we have to go through ultimately like 20 bagels just so we can eat that one bagel. Oh my God. Because continuity wise, he's sitting here eating a bagel. And if he takes a ch- bite out of the entire bagel first in the shot, then in the next one, that same bite has to be there or the lack of bite has to be there so he can take the same bite. So what they do is they actually take the bagel and set it down outside the frame near the script supervisor. And now you end up with 20 different bagels that have one bite in them that they all just kind of get thrown away. <laughs> oh, it's that hurts. Yeah. That hurts. Oh my God. That's why you don't see a whole lot of actual eating. You see people with like noodles or something and kind of eating them off of frame. Oh my God. But... That makes it horrifying. Groundhog's Day. Yep. The giant platter of stuff in front of Bill Murray when mm-hmm. he finally just stops caring. Oh my God. But you so often see. The food almost like right off of frame, yeah, or a close up on only the food. Yeah, it, they'll like have the fork, and the the bottom of the fork will be spearing the food just below the frame. Yeah, and then like usually they'll reach in to almost eat, and they'll cut to a different angle while someone else talks. And that's one of those weird things that you never really notice until pointed out is that you don't really actually see many people eat on eat on camera. It's just because of how many takes and how much repetition and. How much stomach. Yeah. But, like, certain people will just eat an entire meal on on camera, but then, like, when they, okay, cut, and they have to eat an entire meal on camera. And it's just kind of this, like, oh, right, I see why that's not a thing. So, but, yeah, that is actually the the only time that craft services becomes important on the actual film. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's, that's honestly fascinating. Yeah. So then... We finish up this quick little scene with the three, you know, bagel-eating cops, and we break for lunch. There's usually you get three or four shots done and then lunch, but, you know, break for lunch. The camera department very, very often is going to the next thing, so they get their food, get done. Director eats first. Just going to happen. Actors eat second. Cool. There is, like, a whole hierarchy of who eats when. And PAs and interns and guests, your last. Extras, your last. They get no food. <laughs> Extras don't get food if they if all the food's eaten. We we allow, we allow you to breathe. That okay. is your that is your food. Well, yeah, the the above the line. So the production designer, the cinematographer, they eat early. 
if anyone is having what's called a walking lunch, which is you have other things to do, get your food, go do your thing. So a PA that has to then run, pick somebody up or something like that, they get food early. Yeah. The actor who ate seventeen bagels, he, he, they don't need, they don't need feed. Yeah, well, they're, they're bulimic and they're throwing up in the bathroom. Anyway, I'm not bulimic. I'm bulimist. I really believe that bulimia is a thing. Anyway, thank you, Percy Wallflower. Oh, that's uh, that's a bad line. That's what that is. It's a weird line. It works in the movie. Oh, I'm sure it does. But so coming back from lunch, set up the next shot, keep going. It mostly just repeats. Uh, if you ever have stunts, stunt guy comes in, rigs up the actor. Just an added step, nothing huge there. Um, throughout the day, the camera department's making a log of all the shots they did. Sound department's making a log of all the shots they did. They mark down, this one was good, this one was bad. This one was marked as, you know, like, print that. They used to say that back when it was all film and not digital, was print that or check the gate. And, like, check the gate means make sure there's nothing in the lens. Yeah. Uh, the only time I really have ever heard check the gate is on a Chronicles of Narnia behind the scenes. No, I heard on the behind the scenes uh, a couple things with Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you hear it every once in a while. It's like a check the gate, and it's... That's starting, that's starting to sure. phase out, though, just because everything's digital now, right? Yeah, you still check the gate. You still make sure everything's good. But because you can see live what is going through the lens... It's a lot less prominent. Yeah. Um, print that is no longer used... Uh, and there's like certain things like strike the blonde, kill the baby that you hear, which is blonde is a type of light, baby is a smaller light. They, you know, there's shorthand for everything. Strike the blonde, kill the baby. Yep, that's that's a that's a phrase. Yep. Then you could do stuff MOS, which is meet out sound, which is German for without sound. Um, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that's now, now we're getting into the lingo, which is. Not yeah, really a lot of the lingo comes into play in production to speed things up. That could honestly be a podcast in and of itself. I've thought about it. I have heavily thought about it. Maybe. Maybe later. But, yeah. So, say we wrap for the night. Mm-hmm. Director cuts, cuts, that's it. Um, You've got your Abby Singer shot, which is the shot two before the end. Don't ask why it's Abby Singer. It's a long story. Or you have your... Cockney Rhyme is what that is. Or you have your Martini shot, which is the final shot of the night. And all right, then. It was an old school 1940s thing about, like, when we're done, we're all getting martinis. Oh, okay. That's kind of what I figured, like, drinks after. And then we have the ongoing joke that the, the director adds a shot, and it's margarita shot. Because it's like, everyone gets margaritas. <laughs> just now, now we just want to get wasted. Yeah. And then if he keeps adding shots, the, you just add different alcohol types. But um, eventually the absence shot, I think, is the tenth. But, yeah, it's a, an ongoing <laughs> joke. Yeah. <laughs> It's an ob- ongoing joke that it just keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> so it's about having fun and having a nice calming drink and more about I need to get plastered after this. Moonshine is nine. Absinthe is ten. Oh my god. Yeah. The fact that there's natural logic behind that yep. is, is the most astounding bit. So okay. anyway, we wrap. Actors immediately go back to the trailers. Costumes come off. Makeup comes off. Hair comes off. Yeah, wrap for the day, right? Yeah, wrap. They go home. Okay. Actors are relieved early. A lot of actors are usually already done by now, but yeah. Director can just drop everything and walk off set. The director's done for the day. Um, quite often, the director and the DADs will meet and be like, tomorrow's day is this. Planning. Yeah. That's where the production designer goes and meets with that. Cinematographer goes and meets with that. Art, oh. art department closes set. They Any props that are on the on the sets go back to a prop table. Um, any drinks left on the prop table are immediately thrown out or crucified. The sound guys wrap up all the cords, put the soundboard away, hand the 
hand all of the sound files to the di to the DIT, the digital image transfer or information transfer. They give their sound files to somebody at the end of the night. All of the camera department hands their stuff to, to the DIT, who then download it all onto hard drives and so on. External hard drives. But it was back when they were using magazines. They'd hand them to a film transfer person that would then go and do dailies for the director to watch. I've heard that term. What is a daily? A daily, at the end of the day, the dailies are, here's what we shot today. That's uh, why they're called the dailies. They are shown, like, usually they would be shown on, like, a bigger screen, or you get kind of the breakdown of, here's what we shot, here's the ones we liked, do they still work, that kind of thing. And you'd get them shown to the producers who go, good, bad, no, I don't want that, I want show it to the writer usually, uh, that kind of stuff. But you get that at the end of the day. Is the, these are what we shot, what we completed I, today. I don't know why I thought that'd be so long. It was like everything, at, like a daily is probably like two hours tops. If A daily is like 30 seconds quite often. And that's yeah. that's what I was thinking. It was like, it seems like it'd be a lot because of all the production, all that sort of stuff. But really the actual time that's being shot is usually like a couple minutes tops yeah i've had days where we've shot like half an hour and it's just we have long dialogue scenes and depending on what it is like if it's an action scene you're getting really quick snippets of dailies um if it's longer dialogue scenes it goes for a bit but yeah it's not like you're watching the entire movie so i don't know why i thought that no why i thought that um larger budget ones the editors are kind of already editing stuff together so it kind of makes sense like cutting back and forth so the editors might already be doing their stuff oh so you mean they're they're pre-editing yeah, that is pre-editing. <laughs> yeah. The large, large budget movies like Marvel and that kind of stuff, they already have pre-editors and Foley artists and all that working now. So, But thinking about low budget, you don't really do dailies on low budget. Um, no, quite often, you, the actors and the director kind of watch on the little screen. Anyway, and that's your dailies. So, okay. uh, Dailies themselves were mostly big when they were on film. Because that was kind of required. Yeah. And if you had a problem, you then had to quickly fix it or find a way to fix it. And that's the assistant director's deal. Find a way to deal with it. Got yeah. it. So, so after the after that, then. So after that, camera guys wrap up their stuff, put all their million-dollar lenses back in their, their box. <laughs> their their lockbox safes. Yep, they take off. Everyone just takes off for the night. There are various people here and there that are still going to finish up. Like, art department waits for everybody else, locks up the set. Our, and takes off. Oh, so art department... That suddenly makes sense. Art department's first in, last out. Yep. Art department. The usually the set the set decorators are the first one in, first one out. How does that how did that work out? Um, it just kind of the set decorators and the set dressers end up as the ones that are in charge of the, the sets. It just kind of falls it fell into that and that's yeah. it, there's no real reason to change it up. Yeah, pretty much. The production designer and the art the art director of the whole art department are the ones that are Basically granting their their sets to the, the shoot. I am allowing you access. Don't yeah. break it. Basically. So when I, while I worked in the art department, the times that I ended up really early on a set with keys, at, like letting the director in, surprisingly often. So, Huh. Yeah. So right. then they're closing up. And now I know you said something about a 12-hour turnaround. Yeah. Because uh, that is that where this starts to take? Yeah. The 12-hour turnaround is... Not mandatory so much as it is. Good expect- rule of thumb. It is expected. Yeah. If you get out at seven p.m., 
you're not your call is not maximum or minimum time that you can have to come back is 12 hours. This so is for exhaustion you, and the like. Yeah. You won't get a call time until 7 the next 7 a.m. the next day. That is your earliest you can have. Now that's changes. Like if you have a huge makeup time, they might push it a little earlier and then light you out earlier the next day. So you have a 20 hour. You know. it, it's flexible, but the 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 average is 10. Yeah. Okay. On a when you're shooting on a set um, where you can control the lighting and the you know the daytime or so on, the 12 hour turnaround gets pretty easy to do. But if you're shooting outdoors in summer and you're trying to use as much lighting outdoor lighting as possible. You do what you can. That but it's fun. 12 hour turnaround is standard. Kind of come to ghost, but 12 hour turnaround. If it's less than that, crews get burned out fast. If it's more than that, you're not maximizing your time. So but it's a nice balance. But yeah. So you're out at eight o'clock. Most likely your call time is not going to be until late the next day, or you're going to go seven o'clock, but you're not needed to do anything until late. So quite often the call time will be a little earlier so you can get on set and start doing, and then you don't have to actually do anything until... Yeah, kind of get yeah. get your bearings. It's like, okay, I need to do this, I need to do this while you're stretching sort of thing. Yeah. And they're mandatory of two meals a day, you know, all that kind of stuff. Fiddles throughout yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very, very structured, um, and it's very structured, very higher, hierarchical, and everything's like... They figured out how to make it... I told you, it sounds very yeah. military. Oh yeah, it's military, but you know, good. Then you've got yeah, well, then you got creative people. So then tempers. Oh my god, uh, the pretentiousness uh, on the films that I've worked on, I've really only had two or three people that I thought were pretentious. Most of the time, they're just happy to do. They're creative. Something. They know what they're doing. They are surprisingly like. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Because for all the experience that I've had just with the, the theater stuff that you and I have done together, it's not so much that it's it's an all the way through thing. It's that it builds up and builds up and then it you have one giant meltdown a la Christian Mail. Yeah. And even those are fairly rare for the most part. Yeah. You have your Because if you're gonna be if you're gonna be pretentious jackass, you're not gonna last too long. Yeah, there's um, a a level of professionalism that is expected of you. And if you don't keep up to that, you don't work for very long. Word of mouth is a huge thing in film. And if you're on set, on time, if you're not on time, you're fired. <laughs> it's just one of those that, like, if your call time is 7 and you show up at 7.15, at 7 you're probably not coming back the next weekend. Unless you were involved in an accident, and even then, you better call to tell somebody. Oh, yeah. No, you tell somebody. Like, if you, if you are coming down with strep throat, they're like, you come on set. We decide if you leave. It's like, my God, that's very factory worker. That sounds like very much like my job, Devin. Yeah. And it's, if I, if I'm, if I come yeah. down with something, I better call in or I better go in and hope they're being merciful to let me go. And on a film set, if you're an actor and you're like, you're injured, oof, there's Tom Cruise. See, like Tom Cruise was a producer, so he's lucky. But if you're not a producer on a film set and you're injured, they will replace you and just reshoot your stuff. And that's a little yeah. terrifying. But as a as a production person, like as an art department, if I injure myself, I'm relatively okay because I'm not on not on screen. But I have to make sure I tell tell the art or the ads, the art department. I'm like, hey, I just broke my arm. I'll be in when I can. And they'll be like, okay, cool. So, but yeah, the the biggest th the biggest thing I'm taking from that, which is the same for my work, communication. Yeah. Also, make yourself needed. 
is the big thing for a film set. If you're that PA that is like always ready to go, is like, hey, I'm here, cool, let's do this, and like you're always, you what know, can I get you, man? Yeah, like, what do we need? Cool. Uh, yeah, we need three people to go do this. Got I'll it. Do it. And just go off and do it. If you're that kind of guy, you will go really far in film. Well, yeah, because you're you you show up wanting to work. If you're the guy who kind of lack who get, has to get be told to do this, yeah. Then if you're not the guy looking for work, you're not going to have work. Yeah, is how and I'm how I think of that. As someone who like when I was on Family Weekend, Attention to the Dead, The Citizen, that whole thing, I was always like constantly like doing the next thing, doing the next thing. Cool, awesome. I'll go do that. Running off, doing this, coming back. If I finished it early, I finished on time. If I finished it on time, I finished it late. If I finished it late, I might as well kill myself. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, that, the whole on time is late, late is fired. That is very much film. And you know what? Considering everything involved in it, that makes a sadly, a sadly prominent amount of sense. Yeah. So before we end this episode, there are a few other people on film sets that I haven't really mentioned. One is the stunt guys. They come in. The stunt guys look like the actors. That's uh, <laughs> they're the one conception that... that has been constantly thrown out is like they'll have big buff stunt guy for a tiny skinny dude. No, they find a stunt guy that looks like you. <laughs> I don't know. Scott Pilgrim versus the world kind of makes a question then. <laughs> the thing is, they still look like him. They, they do, but... But Those they each are, have their own position. I was about to say, are they not all? Have they not all been stunt uh, stuntmen for Chris Evans? Yeah, that's his actual stunt team. That's hilarious because <laughs> I remember there's a guy at least a head short. Oh, there's an Asian dude in there. Yeah, it's like but, what is that? But yeah, that guy's probably good at certain type of motorcycle stunt. Or oh, something. absolutely. Yeah. And and if you're, ha- it, it goes to the whole force perspective thing. But that's a that's a whole another aspect. We yeah, can talk like about. all that. That's that, all. So yeah, it's like yeah, they'll get close to you. To the fact that if depending on the shot, you're not going to notice. Yeah, and then there's stunt coordinators. I mentioned medic. If there's ever stunts, there's a medic on set. At least a. Uh, one of my favorite medics I've ever had on set was actually the crafty, and he's in all the hungry, a bunch of hungry always commercials. It's like the guy that's sitting in a cubicle talking to someone. I'm like, ah, I see you, Stefan. But anyway, that's funny. Yeah, medic and stunts are always together. Then you also get the special effects people that post production special effects come in with like mirror balls and. Um, are they the ones that do the uh, the the face the stuff? face stuff? Yeah, yeah, like that kind of stuff. If you ever use making a digital character like a golem or a, a Caesar, Vision, uh, Vision, uh, they have little tracking dots and all that. They do that live on set. That's a little bit different, a little a little high compared to as far as budget goes. But yeah, that happens too. But that CG suit, uh, quite often, if you know that you're going to have a, a computer generated character uh asset somewhere in the scene not actually asset not a character like say that a a ship comes through the a ship comes comes through the wall or something like that yeah okay or yeah like a cup and you're going to digitally have the the water in it so you know exactly how how much or the water's getting messed with or something like that yeah they're going to actually use what's called a mirror ball brought like it's a ball and a stick so that they can give lighting reference there's a dull one and there's a, a glossy one like a chrome ball and like one that just gets lighting ref- like No, no, I know what you're talking about. They do that. They come in uh, before they move on after wrapping. If nothing else, just to kind of get a texture map. But that's if you have special effects. Pyrotechnicians are brought in if pyrotechnicians are ever needed. There you get, you get the medic and the fire department. Yep. You usually have fire department there. Um, one of the other big ones that isn't ever thought about is am- animal wranglers. Yeah, because they're, they're brought, you said they were brought in in pre-production. Yeah. 
Um, because you have to, you have to figure out all the... Something like Lord of the Rings, if you have people riding horses, someone owns that horse, or that cat, or that spider, or that snake. Most of the that. actors for the for the Riders of Rohan were actually the horse owners themselves. Yeah. In fake beards. Yep. Which is hilarious to think about. But a whole lot of the the movies, like We Bought a Zoo, if those aren't digital animals, those are real animals that you know have to have the actual people on set. Have to have the people that deal yeah. with them as well as any dietary needs that they that they yeah. have. Um if you have an animal on set, you also have to have a humane society uh person monitoring. Just in case you yeah. injure the animal, you don't get certified, that kind of stuff. But that's why at the end of um any movie, you no know, animals were harmed in the making of this picture. If you don't see that and there were animals, that's not as big anymore because nowadays it's a little bit easier to take care of animals on a set than back in the fifties. But yeah, it's stuff. No animals were harmed. A lot of humans died. Yeah. Then you also have like constructioners and that kind of stuff that are working for the art department. But yeah, that's not all that important. Oh my god, I actually just thought about that. If you need to do with concrete or road stuff, they're like, yeah, that's you actually need you just go and get a lot of contractors. Yeah. Oh my god. That's all pre production. <laughs> yeah, all that kind of stuff. That oh my word. The art department has construct people, they have foam smiths, they have they have people blowing snow. Yeah, that it's so diverse. Oh yeah. No, all of that, they're hired from local sources, too. So if you're shooting in Michigan, those are all Michigan people getting jobs. Oh, so, that's good. Yeah. It's like it's Snyder. Anyway, all that is also going on. Like, there are people working on the far end of a, of a soundstage on stuff for two weeks from now while you're shooting on the first day of shooting. So, but all of this is going on. And for the most part, what you do on the first day of shooting is you walk in. Cool. Set up lighting. You know, roll camera, roll sound, boom, done, cool, move on, okay, good night. Uh, you have a guy, it's called Electronic Press Kit, mentioned him last week, he's in the background recording everything, so you have stuff for the DVD release. Yeah, he's the behind scenes yeah, he's person. he's DPK guy, but he's also, later on in production, he'll do interviews with the actors. Oh, oh, he'll so kind of the liaison to the press? Yeah, he's the guy setting up the, the press kit for later. Okay. But yeah, um, that is it for production. Uh, they're definitely different days. You can have a whole day where you're doing nothing but one shot. You have a day where you only need to do one shot. There's a day where you do 100 shots in one day. Just kind of what it ends up as. Um, but that's kind of the basic structure of a day. Yeah. There's also the second unit, um, or third unit, fourth unit, depending on how big your crew is. Um, second unit, quite often, is just like going off and getting insert shots of cars passing, or... Shot of the sun coming up. Establishing shots. Establishing shots. That's why, like, so many sitcoms just have that, like, boring shot of, here's where Seinfeld lives. Because it's a, it's a free use one. Yeah. They've already shot that, like, five day, five years ago, and they're still using the same one. Um, it's not broke. Don't fix it. Quite often, you get second unit doing the, let's say, the cops that were eating the three bagels. One of, the, one of them hands a bagel to the other person and then takes off. You do all the all that, and then the second unit would come in while they're setting up for the next scene and quickly shoot the handoff of the bagel, so you get the three actors back. You'd be like, "Hey, can you just hand the bagel? Capture it? Okay, cool, you're good to go." And the second unit's kind of that that other one that's not connected to the director, going off and shooting a little thing, and then going back to the director saying, "What do you think?" Okay, cool. In between, so in between stuff that's not necessarily important. Yeah, unless you do really stupid and have them do the fight scenes. <laughs> That happens too. 
quite often the fight scenes and that kind of stuff that are mostly stunt guys, the second unit deals with. In Western films. In almost all films, actually. A whole lot of action scenes that don't have any main actors in it. They just let second unit do it. Oh, I apologize. I wasn't talking about those. I was talking about main 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 actors. Oh, yeah. Because Western films, you'll still you'll still do that. You'll have moments of that, I imagine. But yeah. the Eastern films, like if your main character's doing oh, something. Uh, yeah. Like American films, not like, hi there, Pilgrim. But I apologize. I thought Western, I'm like, man. Westerns have you watched lately? And I'm like, oh, it's like three times the Yuma. But no, I apologize. That's more what I meant. When you have fighting stuff like that, yeah, I'm at English ones. Yeah, tend to be they they'll give it to the second unit even when they really, really shouldn't. Yeah. Um, one of the most notable second units that I've seen is from Lord of the Rings. They had three or four units going at all times during Lord of the Rings. And could you tell? No, not really. Hobbit though. The second unit director was Andy Serkis. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And he would do a lot of the ones with a lot of special effects in them. He would be the one kind of... Was he responsible for the river? I don't know. I feel like maybe. The thing is, I actually thought the river was a really fun scene. It just didn't really fit the movie all that well. It was a fun scene. The, the only problem is that there's a couple points where it's like, ooh, that's like, they're, you're trying to mask bad CG. Holy and you're making it, yeah. yeah, you're making it worse. Yeah. You're making it worse. But yeah. So, so no, that's... Second unit, third unit, they're off doing their own thing. And then you wrap for the day, come back in 12 hours, do it again. Over and over until you have a movie made. Yep. Or, or I should say a movie filmed. Yeah, you have a movie filmed that now is going into post-production. And we'll come back to that next week. And that's another big one, isn't it? Big one, but it's it doesn't have as many moving parts. Uh, Pre-production has a lot that has to happen, but not a whole lot of moving parts. Like they have your art department doing their thing. You have director doing his thing. And then that's about it. For pre-production, everyone else has their stuff they need to do, but they don't. It's not as like huge as art department. The big thing that that stands out to my mind is that pre-production is where ninety percent of your creativity happens. Mm-hmm. Production is the brass tacks. Let's get the get the work done. Move on. Post-production is very tedious. Post-production is extremely tedious. It is very, very, it is very easy to understand not wanting to do it. Yeah. Because it just seems like, seems like a giant insurmountable wall. Yeah. I am, I'm not a huge fan of post-production. I've done it. I've done editing. I've done sound design. Same. But it is. It's not fun. I have to be in a mood for that. I, I can be, you know, I, I can always be in a mood to, to create something, to talk to people. I, I I go to work at my job, so I can do the brass tacks. Let's yeah. get this job done, even though sometimes I don't want to do it. Yeah. Your personality, you definitely fit the gaffer, the grip type that, like, let's get this done. You know, no, not creative. Whereas, like, a creative person in an art department or something is always thinking about, how can I make this look cooler? How can I do this? They're always thinking ahead. No, my, my creativity Versus, comes in the form boom, of the done, right, done, writing. Done, done. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not making stuff. I'm... I've been a factory worker for nine years now, Devin. Yeah. I'm that guy where it's like, you, you come, you tell me what I need to do. Give me an hour at most. I'll have it done for you. Some of the best gaffers and grips that I've worked with here in Michigan came out of the um, the auto industry after it crashed. Yep. And I am not surprised at so all. So many of them were just perfect like personality for it. They You're told them to do it. They're like, all right, we go get- do it. They know exactly what they're doing. They don't faff around and do crap for nothing. 
Like people have people different. have that image of the union worker who faffs around because he's paid by the hour. But no, it's like I want to get my job done and then sit down yeah. because then I'll be able to enjoy it. Yeah, and that's where that's where the different the lighting department and the art department don't really get along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that suddenly explains a lot. The art department is that like if you ever need an example of an art department person, it's a person with blue hair with a bunch of weird like anime tattoos. And like wearing a T-shirt that says that has some weird quote on it, like that's an art department person, or they are the gayest, most flamboyant dude on the entire set. And then you look at the lighting guys, and they are the factory workers. They're blue collar. They're, the, they're the blue collar workers. They're the ones that look like they might be in a biker gang. Like <laughs> that's the that's the lighting department. Like me. <laughs> and then the sound guy is the dude from Office Space that's still looking for a stapler. <laughs> that's that's the sound guy. Um. Like, that's funny. Like, there are very particular stereotypes for each of the different departments of film. And the worst part is you probably see them way more often because they're stereotypes. Yeah. Because they became stereotypes for a reason. Yeah. That's, no, that's fascinating, though. And if you're smart, this is the shortest phase. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if this is the longest phase of your shoot, you did something wrong. Uh, Most likely editing will be your longest part. But it's just so tedious and so particular. I'm about to say that's why it's the longest one. Like if pre-production's long, that's because you want to get everything right. Yeah. If your post-production's <coughs> long, you're a perfectionist. The thing is, post-production's almost always the longest part. It's people don't like doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's there's a certain a certain art to it, and the editor. We'll get into this more next week, but the editor is considered the second director. Or is considered the second writer. Isn't it, it... Wasn't it true that the editor for the first Star Wars basically saved that movie? Yep. The editor can save a movie or break a movie. And you won't notice it otherwise. So, But we'll get into editing. We'll get into post-production sound and Foley and ADR. and all the, all the fun stuff that nobody thinks marketing about. Marketing and all that. We'll get into that next week. Uh, hopefully Tom will be back next week. Um, I hear he's feeling better. Uh, his schedule just didn't line up with this yeah. this week. He is out of the hospital though, so that's we can at least be thankful yep. for that. Uh, try not to die, you know, Tom. So, all right, we'll be back next week. Uh, as always, I've been Devin. I'm James. And until next week, watch more movies. Take care, folks. Bye.